0: Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Our mission is simple, to bring those who are far from God close to Him. People are our heart and Jesus is our message. Together, we go into the night, fearlessly taking the gospel into every space of our society. Stay up to date with our community by subscribing to this podcast. Now let's check out this message, Gates and Stone, from Pastor Manushka Charles.
1: I wanna welcome our friends and family tuning in online and our friends at Everglades Correctional Institute. Can we thank God that we're not just here in this room but God's doing amazing things all over this place. And we're gonna get into God's Word. You can turn your Bibles to Psalm 118. and. It is Palm Sunday, and I just wanna take a moment to encourage you, this week is an important week in the Christian calendar. That you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, that really this week is the culmination of our faith, that everything that we believe really culminates on this week. So Jesus' last week on earth, and I encourage you, take some time to get into the text today. Take some time to get into the text this week to read God's word, to read the story. Like this week as I was studying, I wanted to get into the story. I wanted to feel what they would have felt as he entered into Jerusalem or what it would have been like when he was turning over tables or what it would have been like to be at the Last Supper. And Just take some time to get into God's word this week. As we prepare for Easter, as we get ready, read the stories that lead up to what we believe. I believe that God's gonna reveal himself to you, that you have an opportunity to fall in love with Jesus again this week. That was my prayer, God, I was like, God, I just wanna fall more in love with you this week. And I wanna be reminded of your goodness. I wanna be reminded of your sacrifice. And as we look to the text, Psalm 118, it says this, it says, open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Now, this specific Psalm is part of a collection of Psalms called the Hallel, and that Word means praise in the Hebrew. We we know the word hallelujah, it means thank God. But this collection of psalms is usually recited during Jewish festivals like the Passover. And this was the very psalm that they would have recited as Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. In Luke 19 verse 40, it says when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And today I wanna talk to you from this thought gates and stones let's pray together Lord we thank you because you are here God we thank you that your presence rests in this place and Lord we know that where your presence is there is Liberty there is freedom there is wholeness and so we pray that you would meet us here and right now God we pray that you would speak that you would move, that you would touch our hearts, God, Do what only you can do in Jesus name. Amen and amen. come on anybody desire to hear from the Lord today? I believe He wants to speak to us. As we look throughout history, there's a pattern that we notice that every generation, every time period creates for itself language. That if you look at the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, that that every generation has its own language. They create language, slang, terminology to relate to one another. It, It doesn't happen only generationally, it also happens regionally. Certain cities you go to, although they speak the same language, they might have different terms. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and I might have some terms that you might not understand. We'll say some things in New York like, it's mad brick. And y'all are like, what does that mean? Does anybody know what that means? One person. If you go outside, we're well, so we from the same neighborhood. He knows exactly what it means. If you say it's mad brick, it means it's really cold outside. When I moved to Miami, I realized that you guys had your own terminology and I needed a translator and it was not because everybody spoke Spanish. I needed a translator because there were certain words that I just, I didn't get because I wasn't from around here that I did not have the context that language is created generationally, regionally, but also culturally. I'm Haitian and there's some things that we say that even if I translated it literally, it would make no sense to you if you didn't have the right context. It can happen with certain people groups. It can happen with Christians. We have our own terms. That if you walk into this place and we start talking about eating the body and drinking the blood without context, you're like, let me get out of here. This is, I don't know what this is, but I'm good. That we create Language, I think it's so fascinating, right? In, in the 80s, they probably would say something like, she's a bad mamma jamma. Nobody says that today. In the 90s, they'd probably look at somebody and be like, oh, you look so fly. In the early 2000s, they would say something like, oh, your hair's on fleek. I'm so glad we have gone away with that. Just, I don't know what that was. I always wondered, like, who started these things? And how do they spread? Usually I'm on like Urbandictionary.com trying to find definitions. And I feel like now, culturally, sometimes in my generation, when we're giving compliments, we just say one word. We don't even like go into descriptions. Like people will walk up to me, like, okay, hair. Like, do you like it? Okay, shoes, pants. <laughs> is there anything? Can we go in some here? that? What does that mean? Give me more than that. It is like one word. This is it. I'll just tell you what I like. And if I say it, I like it. That's it. But I've been, I've been really enjoying the Gen Z terms. I'm a big fan of Gen Z. And I feel like they have some of the best terms. And although I don't always understand it, I just ask questions. All right? I, I finished preaching one time and somebody came up to me and they're like, yo, you ate. And I was like, I did eat today. I was <laughs> like, what do you... It's like, nah, you ate. Left no crumbs. I'm like, you calling me greedy? Like, what? It's like, no, you, you did exceptionally well today. I was like, said, oh, I like that. I ate. It's like, I'm going to start using that. And they'll say things like this. I love it. This is my favorite one. Like, you know, I have a bunch of students in the Gen Z age range, and, and I'll tell them to do something, and they'll, they'll say, stay less. <laughs> Heard. Understood I was just like I'm like no, I don't even think you understood me. Let me explain it a little you need me to say more You don't need me to say less They have this thing like they'll, they'll, they'll describe something if they went to a party or maybe they went to a restaurant and it was like So-so they'll call it mid Some of you parents need to be taking notes because you don't understand your kids at all I don't see you just write it down You're like that's what they're talking about But one of these terms that I've kind of newly been introduced to, and it's probably like new to me, but not new to them, but it's gatekeeping. Somebody reached out to me because I went to a restaurant and and they wanted to know what restaurant I went to and I was like, where did you go eat? Don't gatekeep. And before I answered them, I went on urbandictionary.com. I said, okay, hold on. I'm not going to look like no fool. Let me, let me get this right. But gatekeeping is essentially withholding information. We all know people who gatekeep. You ever ask somebody where they get their outfit from and they say, I thrifted it. Like, you lying, that's from Zara. Like, why are you, cut it out. Or oh, where'd you go on vacation and they start giving you the runaround. They won't tell you what hotel they stayed at or how much they paid for something. You know people who gatekeep, who withhold information. And what I love about this generation is that they have collectively decided that gatekeeping is not cool. just like it's not cool to withhold information it's not cool to withhold things that might be helpful to others but it's interesting because this is a generation that has decided to share their entire lives get ready with me help me pick my outfit everything I ate in a day and I'm not I'm not knocking it because these things have been really helpful for my life personally but it's It's interesting and fascinating to see the world that we live in, that we have a generation that's like, let me share this. I found this new hack. Let me share it. I found a new way or an efficient way to do this thing. Let me share it. We're living in this information age. We're living in an age where there's an entire generation that grew up with a phone in their hand. I was at Wuhan night the other day. And I'm preaching, it was right here in this room, it was beautiful, had an altar call, had the kids come up, and I'm praying for kids, and like right around here, there was this girl with just like her phone in her hand, and I'm like, is she going to put it down? I'm like laying hands on kids and praying for kids. She still has a phone up, and I'm like, all right, Lord, bless her followers, bless her influence. <laughs> I didn't say that, I'm kidding. I'm like, I'm going to just pray for you, it's just like a whole generation where they live out their entire lives online. They share everything that they see. They've decided not to gatekeep. And gatekeeping is as old as time. In Matthew 28, Jesus has been crucified. He is put in the tomb. He's risen. The stone is rolled away and... There's guards that were to stand in front of the tomb and they see that Jesus is gone and they know that he's gone because he's risen. So they go to tell the priest about it. And what the priests tell the guards to do is lie about it. The Bible says in Matthew 28, and you can read it, they bribe them to tell a different story. They're like, why don't you just gatekeep this information? Keep this information to yourself." The Bible says that there are an entire people group who still believe the story of the guards. That when they could have told the truth, they decided to gatekeep. When they could have shared something that would have been helpful for for people to know who Jesus truly was, they decided to gatekeep. And so when I look at a generation that has decided to share information, I believe there should be boundaries around it. There's some negative effects, but I do believe that there's some principles that we can learn from a generation that has decided to share. That we can complain that they share too much, but maybe we don't share enough. That we can complain that we have a generation that wants to put everything on the internet and they want to show this and showcase that, but maybe we don't share Enough. And I'm not saying for you to get an Instagram and a TikTok and a podcast and start this and that, but maybe we can adopt the principle of sharing to our Christianity. Maybe we can adopt the principle of sharing our lives like a generation is to our salvation. Never in history have we seen the influence come from the common person the way that it is. That no longer is it the celebrity or the politician, it's in the hands of the people. That if they tell them where to eat, that's where they are gonna go eat. They tell them what to wear, they're gonna wear that. I've seen businesses flourish because someone said go eat there. Seen businesses fail because somebody on TikTok said don't eat there anymore. I mean, this generation is completely influenced. But what if we took that same model What if we took that same methodology and applied that to our evangelism? What if we made a decision to share? What if we decided to share Jesus? What if we told people about the experience that we were having on a Sunday? I believe that we need to be like Gen Z in theory. In theory, okay, don't take this literally. But when I think about Jesus' disciples, the people that he would have chosen weren't middle-aged guys. Scholars would tell us that they were as young as 12 and 13 years old. Matthew 18, verse 3, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what can we learn from a generation that has decided to share their lives? What if we could grab hold of this concept? Where in your life can you share about Jesus? Where in your context can you tell people about Jesus? I had for a long time believed, before I was a pastor, before I was preaching, that Jesus, I can't bring Jesus into the workplace. That I had my silo life. I had my church life, had my work life, had my school life. And those lives didn't touch each other. That I I had different friends in different spaces and my work friends didn't know about my church life. My school friends didn't know about my church life. And I separated it. Because oftentimes we tell ourselves, well, I can't talk about Jesus in the workplace. Can't talk about Jesus at school, but you really think about it. People talk about everything else. Talk about what they did, who they did it with, when they're going to do something. That, they talk about whatever in the workplace, but I found myself where I didn't want to talk about Jesus. That I was just like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't, I don't know how I can relate. I don't know how to bring up the topic of Jesus so I would gatekeep. I had the truth. I knew what God had done for me, but I didn't feel comfortable with sharing it with anyone. So I decided to keep it to myself. And then there was this one day I'll never forget I walked into a church in Brooklyn. My friend had invited me to come to their youth or young adult gathering and I went and I heard a man by the name of Rich Wilkerson Jr. preaching for the very first time. And he was preaching about the disciples and when Jesus called the disciples, he said, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And then he asked this question, if you aren't fishing, are you really following? And I thought about my life and I was like, I'm not fishing. I don't know how to fish. I don't even own the thing that you fish with. <laughs> what is it called? I don't own. I was like, I don't know nothing about that. And, and I, I felt convicted in that moment. I was like, I've been a follower of Jesus for a really long time. But I'm not fishing for people. I'm not telling anybody anywhere about Jesus. I'm not sharing it anywhere. And that completely changed my outlook of my Christianity. From that day forward, no longer did I look at my life as just the person who came to church, had an experience with God, left, and that was it. I felt a call to share Jesus. And now it might not look like the way that I share Jesus today for you, but I believe that we all have a call to share Jesus. I believe that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, wherever your sphere of influence is, wherever you find yourself is where God has called you to share his good news. And so on your job, you probably have that coworker that maybe comes in every day and tells you about their problems. And instead of saying, that's crazy, over and over again, why don't you offer to pray for them? Like, I'm a Christian and I don't know what you believe, but do you think I can pray for you? If they say yes, pray for them. If they say no, pray for them at home. (laughs) That we have, I believe, a call and a mandate to open up the gates for people. That your story is a seed. That your life is a seed that can open up the gates for people to see Jesus. So I've decided that I'm not going to gatekeep. I'm not going to hold back the good news. I'm not going to hold back my experience. I'm not going to hold back the goodness of God. There are people who need to experience his love. The psalmist says in Psalms 118, open for me the gates of righteous. I will enter and the Lord and give thanks to the Lord. See, what a gate does is grant access. A gate can grant access in or it can keep things out. And I believe that God has called us to open up the gates so that we can experience him in a new way. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I'm standing at the door knocking. If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door within, I will come into you and feast with you and you will feast with me. I believe there are four gates that God is calling us to open up to him in order for him to open up the floodgates of heaven so that he could pour out a blessing that we cannot contain that he is calling us to open up our gates so that he can pour out into us. You, you might feel like, well, God, I don't have what it takes to share your gospel, and I don't have what it takes to live the life that you've called me to live. I, I don't have what it takes, but God is saying, if you would just open up, I will pour into you everything that you need. I am your supplier. I am your provider. Whatever it is that you need, as long as you open up, you can receive it. You can only receive if you open up. I believe the first gate that God is calling us to open up to him is our heart gate. Are you willing to open up your heart to what God has for you? Are you willing to open up your heart to allow God to speak to you? It is easy to come to church and do it just to check off a box and to say that I went this week, but it takes effort to open up your heart. There is a level of vulnerability that it takes to open up your heart. That means that there's some things that I have to deal with when I open up my heart. There's some areas that I have to address when I open up my heart. That that it doesn't always feel good to open up my heart. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. 19 this is what the prophet says I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh God wants to give you a new heart that he wants to take your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh and life can harden our hearts. The trauma that we faced, the betrayal, the rejection, the abandonment, all of these things are things that can harden our heart. But God is saying that I can take your very hard heart. I can take your heart that could walk into a place like this and feel like God can't speak. He can take your hardened heart and he can give you a heart of flesh. He can give you a heart that is yielded to him. See, our heart is what contains our will. and Our heart contains the affections and it contains our desires. God is saying that if you open up your heart to me, that I will give you the desires of your heart. That I will even help to adjust your desires to my will, but, but you have got to open up Your heart, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. That everything that you do will be dictated by what's in your heart. And I can't trust everything that is in my heart unless I give it to God. Unless my heart is yielded to him, unless my heart is given to him, I can't trust what's in my heart. And so we have to open up our hearts. He desires to transform it. The second gate is our eye gate. We have to open up our eye gate. That the Lord desires to give vision and he desires to give clarity. And that can only happen when we open it up to him. The Bible says that the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be healthy. And so if I could just get my vision right, if I could just get what I see right, so what are you looking at? What can your eyes see? What have you exposed your eyes to? God is saying, I have good plans for you, but, but I need you to open up your eyes to see me. The third gate that we have to open up to God is our ear gate. We have to stop taking advice from everybody. And that's advice, but I think that's some decent advice. Stop taking everyone's advice. We've got a lot of voices, a lot of things that we're listening to. And sometimes we're trying to decipher, what do I need to listen to? What do I need to follow? And the Bible says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And so if you're wondering what you need to listen to, you need to listen to God's word. If anything that somebody is saying to me does not align with God's word as, per, as it pertains to the advice that they're giving to me, then maybe I don't need to heed their advice. Okay, what does God say concerning this thing? I hear your advice, but how does it line up with what God says? I wanna hear what God says. We have to open up our ears. Just too many distractions, too many voices. We've gotta open up our ears to hear from God. We also have to open up our mouth gate. That every story in here matters. That your voice matters, your sound matters. And many of us, we have been silenced. Silenced by shame, silenced by fear, silenced by what would somebody think about me? That the Pharisees said to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. And he told them, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And I don't want to let a rock cry out for me. I don't want to let a rock praise God in my place. That we have got to open up our mouth gate. See, there is victory in your praise. There is victory in your voice. In Joshua 6, they are given the instruction at Jericho to march for seven days around the walls of the city. Then on the seventh day to march seven times. Then on the seventh time to shout aloud. And it was not until they shouted that the walls came down. That I believe that there are some walls that can come down when you open up your mouth. That there have been some walls that have been keeping you trapped for years. That when you open up your mouth, all of a sudden the walls will come down. There is authority in your voice. There is power in your voice. as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the people, his disciples, are are shouting out loud. They're shouting this psalm, they're shouting praises to him. And the purpose of this psalm is to be a profound collective gratitude to God. That when these psalms are sung, they're not just to be sung individually, but the very purpose of them is to be sung in community because there is something that happens when I have my story and you have your story and she has her story and we come into the same place thanking the same God. There is something that explodes in a room when someone can express their gratitude and and this is what they did. They were in this moment and they begin to praise aloud and express their gratitude. Do you know that there are many benefits to group singing? I did some research this week. And there are some great benefits to singing in groups. And now there are very few places that you probably can sing in a group aside from church, but I was reading about the benefits to the body and to the mind of group singing. Research says that it reduces stress and anxiety that it boosts your immune system, that it enhances social connections, it improves your breathing and your posture, it increases happiness and well-being. And so if you've been coming to church and just watching as the worship team sings, and you're like, God, why can't I be set free? I'm so depressed. He's like, I've given you the tools in your worship. I've given you the answer in your praise, but you come into God's house and somehow you're still silent. Oh, there's such a beauty in praise because we praise God because he's worthy, but somehow we are designed to worship that when we worship that it does something to our mind and our body and our soul and and God heals you when you worship. And God can heal you when you praise. You don't got to be the best singer. You could be singing off key. But if you're going through something, you might need to be the loudest person in the room. That I don't care what my neighbor thinks that I sound like. I don't care what the other person thinks about me. But if I come to the house of the Lord, I will not be silent. I will not let a rock cry out. That I will lift up my praise and I will lift up my worship. Because there is victory in my voice. There is victory in my praise. when you worship. There's something that happens when you lift up praise to the one who is worthy of it all. And these are just keys to unlock you into the next season. God has given you the key to open up the gate. There are keys to open up the gate. There are keys for your freedom. There's keys to get you out of depression and keys to get you out of suicidal thoughts. There's keys. But you have to use your key. I can't use it for you. They sound good and they sing good, but they can't use it for you. They can't worship for you. They can lead us and model for us. But the only one that can praise God the way that you can is you. And so the people, they begin to shout and they begin to sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, he enters into Jerusalem on this donkey. He enters into Jerusalem in the most Eastern gate, it's called the Golden Gate. And there's so much significance to this specific gate that Jesus would have walked through. This past November when our team went to Israel, they were telling us about the Golden Gate. We had come down from the Mount of Olives and we had looked past what's called the Kidron Valley and there was the Golden Gate. The gate that Jesus would have entered into Jerusalem in, but what was interesting was that the gate was sealed. And our tour guide began to tell us that in the 1500s, the Ottoman Empire, there were enemies of the Jewish people had sealed up the gate with stone. That they had heard prophecy that a Messiah would come from the Mount of Olives down to Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate. And so they sealed the gate shut. But not only did they seal the gate shut, they built a cemetery in front of the gate. Because they also heard that a high priest, a Jewish man, a holy man could not step foot in a cemetery that it would defile a priest to be around dead things. And they didn't believe the Bible, but they still believed the Bible. They were not Bible believing people, but somehow they so believed that the prophecy would be true that they took preventative measures to make sure that the Messiah would not get into Jerusalem. But isn't that just like the enemy? To try to set up obstacle, after obstacle to make sure that you don't get to what God has for you. That the enemy would be like, well, maybe if I kill their dreams, destroy their relationship and steal their peace. If, if I could just put dead things around them, if I could make that business go broke, if I could make that relationship get all messed up, if I can surround them with dead things, maybe, just maybe they won't get to what God has for them. And as I was thinking about this, I was like they were right about one thing, that the high priest can't be around dead things. Because I know a God that once he steps into a dead situation, that it has got to come to life. Once he steps into that dead dream, it has got to come to life. There is no dead thing in your life because he's got too much life in him the devil comes to kill steal and destroy but God says I have come to give you life and give you life more abundantly and you have been doing life and you have been living it below your means, and you've been living it below your maximum and God's saying that I want to improve your life quality that I don't just want to give you life I want to give you abundant life just trying to give you a so so life I'm trying to give you an abundant life you don't need to have a mediocre life God is saying that I want to give you real life God wants to give you real life and so the enemy he, he tried to set up a grave so, so that the Messiah wouldn't come in and, and then he sealed up the gate with stone. up the gate with stone not knowing that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. They sealed up a gate with stone not knowing that he had already rolled it away, that he already had resurrected and came back to life. And so the enemy might try to put some something behind in your way but I believe that it's getting ready to be a stepping stone to your next season the enemy was like if I can put depression in your way if I can put anxiety in your way if I can put abandonment in your way maybe you won't get to God but I believe everything that you have gone through it's not going to be a stumbling block but it's going to be a stepping stone in this season that what he wants to do in you and through you requires you to be open Being open is, is not a comfortable state. God is like, I want to do surgery on you, but I've got to open you up. That I can't do the work that I want to do in you and through you just on the surface level. That you're like, God, use me, change me, but, but just do it on the surface. Just do it on the outside. Just, just do it, do it where it doesn't require me to open up. But if you want to have surgery, you've got to open up. through multiple surgeries in my life and every single one, in order for them to save my life, they had to open me up. It was not comfortable, it did not feel good. I needed to take time to recover, but they could not fix my broken back if I did not open up. You're like, God, heal my broken heart, he's saying, open up. You're like, God, I need vision, he's saying, open up. You're like, God, I need to hear you. He's saying, open up. God, I need to feel you. He's saying, open up, open up, open up. This is the season where it's time for you to open up to what God has for you. You have been closed off for too long. You've been closed off for too long. The moment that God gets close to you, you push him away and you're like, God, that feels uncomfortable. And God, that doesn't feel good and I've got to confess my sins and and I'm going to have to go to counseling and I'm going to have to do some things. God, this doesn't feel comfortable. And God is like, if I can bring you to your next level, it's going to require you to open up. Open up the gates. Let the king of glory come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. God is saying if you would just open up to me every battle that you're fighting, everything that you're facing that you already have won. So all over this room, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you find yourself in life. You could have been saved five minutes ago or 50 years ago. God still still requires you to open up. He still requires something from you. He's saying, I want to heal you. I want to help you go to the next level. You feel stuck, but he's saying that your next move requires you to open up. So all over this room with head bowed and eyes closed. If you're just saying, God, help me to open up. God, maybe it's the ear gate that I've got to open. Maybe for you, it's the mouth gate. Maybe for you, it's the heart. Maybe, maybe for you, it's the, I, I don't know what it is for you, but just begin to ask God to open you up. Let that be your prayer. God, open me up. Open me up to the plans that you have for me. Open me up to your will. God, open me up to your way. Jesus, open me up because I believe that Father, as you open me up, that you're gonna begin to draw men onto me. That people will begin to know who you are. That my life could be a testimony. That my story can be a seed. God, do whatever it is that you desire to do in me and through me. That God, heal my heart and heart. The heart and heart that doesn't believe that God could still do miracles. The heart and heart that doesn't believe that God could speak to the situations. The heart and heart that doesn't believe that God could bless and heal and transform. So heal us God from the inside out. Not just a surface level work, I'm tired of surface level work, but God do something in me. God transform me, transform my mind, transform my speech, transform my life. God transform me. And maybe you're in the room today, we're talking about Jesus, but You've not made the decision to open up your life to Him. He desires your heart today. That you've tried a lot of things, but I believe that today is the day that you tried Jesus. You tried to do it on your own. That you tried to fill the void by yourself. You didn't come here by accident. This is not just the thing that you come to check off a box. There is life change in this room. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three and you can just lift up your hand saying, that's me, I want to receive Jesus in my heart. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. If you're in the room today and you want to receive salvation, one, Jesus died so that you could have new life. Two, you don't have to wait for Easter Sunday. You don't have to wait for another moment. You don't, you don't have to wait for another thing. Three, if that's you saying, Jesus, I want to give you my heart. I want to surrender my life. I want to give you my all wherever you are in this room, additional seating, wherever you find yourself, just get away with God and just saying, God, I surrender. Church, can we all lift up our hands together with our friends and pray this simple prayer together? Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you died so that I could have new life. Today, I give my heart to you. I believe that I will receive all that you have for me in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on with a loud voice, can you just respond? Come on, can you just lift up your voice and give him a shout if you're grateful in this room? Come on, can you thank him?
0: Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus. Come into my life, be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we wanna partner with you in the next steps of your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com online We love you.